I, I want to welcome you to today's edition of The Bradley Hall Show. And I am your host, The Bradley Hall. As you've guessed it by now, I am the Bradley Hall. I wanted you to know that I am a certified trauma recovery coach and a certified mindfulness instructor and a certified holistic life coach. Now, what this means is that I am a trauma-informed holistic life coach with a focus on awareness, which is the first step to any type of personal growth. Let my 30 years of coaching and my experience overcoming trauma work for you. To work with me, go to my website, thebradleyhall.com. Look for the coaching tab in the upper right-hand corner. You can choose holistic life coaching or trauma recovery coaching. Anyone who ever accomplished anything had a great coach or a great mentor. You should too. You're worth it. Contact me now. Welcome back to another episode of The Bradley Hall Show. I'm your host, The Bradley Hall. Today, my guest uh, is a friend, another friend of mine. Uh, in honor of Mental Health Awareness Month, the month of May, uh, my friend Paulette Bethel, uh, PhD, is here to join us. Paulette has a master's degree in clinical psychology, family therapy, uh, a master's degree in public administration, and a PhD uh, in education, international education, and entrepreneurship. She is the founder of Discoveries Coaching, and she's agreed to join us today to talk about her experience as a therapist and as a trauma recovery coach. Hi, Paulette. Hi, Brad. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great, all things considered. All things considered. How is uh, quarantine going for you? It's beginning to get old. Uh, I'm still very much practicing safety at home. Um, and that's been going well, all things considered. It's been going really well. But I think it's beginning to get a little bit old. I have every intention of continuing to practice safety at home. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I, th I think everyone's getting antsy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, especially that, uh, that cabin fever that, you know, most people are used to staying indoors, uh, through the latter part of winter, early part of spring, but by now they're used to being out. And I think there's, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. But, right. It's just beautiful out there. Right. Yeah. 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 So good. Well, I appreciate you joining me today. Um, we have a lot to talk about. Um, we just, you know, we may have several episodes, I hope. Um, okay. We always have great conversations when we talk, so I'm really looking forward to it. And um, this is May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and uh, which is one of the reasons I invited you at this particular time, um, because I went, I just went through your bio, and uh, I want to make sure I have this right that uh, you have a master's degree in family therapy, a master's degree in public administration, and a PhD in international education and entrepreneurship. Is that correct? Okay. That's correct. Okay, great, mm -hmm. great. Um, and so I invited you on today because of your uh, your experience with uh, family therapy and uh, and its mental health awareness. And I want to talk a little bit about um, you know mental health awareness, obviously, 
um, but just some things that, that maybe you've seen in your year with your, your experience. And I, I might also uh, add your trauma recovery coach through uh, Bobby Parrish's organization, the International right. Association of uh, mm -hmm. Trauma Recovery Coaches. And the other guests I've had have, are also coaches that I've met through the, the, uh, the association, but you're a little different. I'm a trauma recovery coach by the urging uh, of you. <laughs> That's right. I did yeah. kind of wrangle you into it. You did. You. Uh, we're glad we did. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. I'm glad you did. I think. Uh, I think I blew you off uh, a couple times. I, not really blowing you off. Just like, hey, I'll take a look at it, and uh, and you pushed a couple more times, and then uh, I was right mindset when I looked at it. I thought, man, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Right. I, yeah, I realized very early on that if you were interested, you would be a natural for it. Yeah, well, thank you. For given, that. given your background, given some of your, your professional history, your passion about mentoring students, as well as, um, you know, some of the personal stories that we've shared, I just thought not. there's anyone that would be a natural fit to this particular field that would be. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I certainly appreciate you. Uh, nudging me a little bit. I'm, I'm, I really enjoy uh, what I'm doing. So I'm grateful. grateful. So I guess we'll just start with, um, you know, why, why did you choose your field? What, what made you seek? Uh, your well, how far back do you want me to go? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will share with you that the, the beginning seeds for a decision to become an American family therapist was actually while I was in the Air Force. And you have a military background as well as a first responder. So you are well aware of how, as, as leaders, we're expected to make sure we care for the morale and well-being of the, the young men and women that serve under our leadership. And over the years, especially when I was in the overseas environment, and I think it was the overseas environment that really brought this home to me, is um, I started finding that as young men and women came to talk to me about concerns, or if I had to call them in because I recognized there may have been something going on um, that was impacting their ability to function at the highest level at work, I might call them in. And over the time, I recognized, A, that their mental health and mental well-being was as important to their job performance as their skill sets that they brought. Right? And, and we both know a lot of these kids really um, brought a lot of um, skills and motivation and excitement and youthful energy to the table in terms of being in the military. But because they were also young, very often, um, they hadn't, you know, they're still young. Many of them were under 21. Many of them were married and had families. And one of the biggest challenges at the time, especially when I was overseas, was that being away from home, being in a different cultural environment under a different set of circumstances. Um, and while they're at work, their families might be at home struggling to adapt into the new environment. Very often you had at that time spouses who had had their own careers or the only, their own um, work environment prior to coming to overseas. And now, you know, because of various rules and regulations, they might not be able to work or find a job. And so there were a lot of losses and a lot of grief, you know, the kids grieving, 
that they've left grandma or they've left their friend, in some cases even left their favorite pet behind. And so um, at the time I didn't realize that I was dealing with a lot of um, grief issues around um, leaving and belonging and fitting in. And that ultimately would lead to other issues that might lead to them being in my office. So that's where it started. And I remember one day, just as clear as a bell, I stepped outside of my office after having been um, sitting with about four individuals back to back. And um, I remember walking outside of my office and looking at my name tag on the door um, that said that I was the officer in charge of stock control and issue, but I felt like I should hang out a shingle that says, um, or otherwise. <laughs> so, so that's where the seeds began because I also recognized that um, I really did enjoy working with people that worked for me. I enjoyed seeing light bulbs come on, the aha moments, especially when they might tap into um, maybe some grief, maybe that they um, didn't have some of the personal skill sets. Something as simple as you know, not knowing how to do a budget and getting into financial trouble. In that case, I wouldn't sit and teach them how to do a budget, but I would make sure I got them access to people and resources that could help them get out of financial economic issues, um, work with um, getting them to the right people if there were family issues that needed to be addressed. So that, that was the beginning. And then um, making the decision to get a marriage and family therapy degree was just a natural fit to that because I began to recognize that families are systems, just like organizations are systems. And the other piece of it was the family system didn't stop at their front door and it didn't end at our door at the end of the day. So yeah. going into a systems background program just felt like a natural fit for me yeah. when um, I decided to transition out of the military into the counseling. Okay. Okay. You, you brought up a great point um, that I don't think people realize the strong correlation between a family system and a corporate organization, or in your case, a government organization with the military, that the roles that we, we take on in a childhood based on our, our family system are often the roles we take on in every single type of social and professional organization we uh, associate with through our entire lives. And um, where a lot of people aren't happy with an employer, maybe uh, because their, their position isn't falling into that category that feels comfortable with them, or they may have some unresolved trauma that they've, they've agreed, they've accepted this role in this organization but there's still anger and bitterness and resentment left over from the childhood trauma that carries over into the organization. And I find that, I find that absolutely fascinating when you begin to break it down and see how people interact in a corporate organization that is very similar to the family. Would, would you agree with that? I would absolutely agree with it. And, and we like to think or we would hope that people don't bring their baggage to work with them or that they don't bring the baggage from work home, but we know like it's an interconnected system. Yeah. And, uh, and as you shared, if there is unresolved grief issues or trauma issues or family systems issues from childhood, then you certainly bring them into the workplace. Yeah, 
Uh, right. Um, I remember speaking to a mentor once uh, because I also have a background in um, business and executive coaching. Okay. And um, he shared with me that very often with top level executives who are struggling in that environment, when you really get down to it, you will find out that things are not going well at home. Yeah. And, you know, they like to think that they can just close the door or close the window on whatever is going on at home when they walk into the worst place. But, we, you know, we're humans. We can't always do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, and especially when we have unresolved trauma and certain situations may be triggering that, that trauma, which, you know, just exacerbate both situations, but the, the, the personal, the family life and, and the professional. Right. PSD is real. Yeah, yeah. And um, so with that, this, this, this line of thought that we're on, um, you know, that of, of the things that people carry around with them, they take to the workplace and they take back from the workplace back to home. I mean, what are some ideas and concepts um, around those things with, with mental health and, and healing um, awareness and that kind of thing that that you think people should be aware of uh, in their in their journey? Well, the, the whole idea of self-care, which is what um, this particular Mental Health Awareness Month theme is, is that being able to have the awareness that mental health issues are real and that having good mental health is, is needed. We don't always get there, we don't always succeed but having that awareness and then having access to resources and tools to help you um, as you're navigating whatever it is that may be going on. And, um, you know, one of the things is we don't always have mental health issues. But mental health issues are real and they do happen. Uh, I think it's something like one in five Americans have mental health issues that are debilitating and do things like wreak chaos and havoc in your lives in both your professional and personal life. Yeah. And so that's serious. I mean, it's really serious business. And at the same time, by having a greater awareness of the role of mental health and its importance in our everyday lives um, is part of what is needed in order to be able to get to healing. Uh, if we are aware that we're not alone or that, yes, we're going through some difficult periods, maybe we are suffering with clinical depression that requires an intervention from a helping professional. Um, and we normalize that, you know, because when I was coming up, um, having mental health issues was definitely not normalized. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of shame around it and people didn't admit that they needed help. And there still is. It, it still is to a great extent. Yeah. Yeah. A shame, a lot of shame around. That. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I, you know, I, I hear people with myths around who does or who does not get, um, have mental health issues. And, and I realize that that's a lack of awareness to yeah. anyone at any time. Yeah. And then we just, we have times when it's not a clinical um, diagnosis. It doesn't rise to the level, which is where I think you're headed with this, but it doesn't necessarily rise to the level of bringing in a mental health professional. But the more you know about, you know, and having awareness about our mental health needs and how to get them met, 
A, we can begin to address issues early on so that they don't rise to the occasion of developing into clinical depression. Right. right. And in some cases, you know, you and I both know um, depression can also be um, not just psychosocial, it can also be because we have other things that are, are going on within our bodies yeah. that contribute to our and I think it's important that people have that awareness that there are just times when um, we need to go see a doctor, we need to get a checkup, what else might be going on. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think as an extension of that, I think that, you know, no one ever, ever no one ever grows up saying, I, 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 wanna, I want to have mental health issues or I want to, you know, be an addict or and that kind of thing. And, and I, I I know that sounds obvious, but I say that to get people to really think back that people end up somewhere that they didn't expect to end up. And they did that because they began heading in a, in a direction, not knowing where they were headed. And so by the time, and I, and I, I want to be very careful with my words here, but by the time we realize there is a mental health issue that falls in the clinical categories, I don't want to say it's too late because it's never too late, but, but that could have been prevented a long time before that we got to that point, which is what my goal is with this podcast and, and, and some of my coaching. And, and I know that you feel the same way to, to bring out this awareness to help people because a lot of times clinical diagnoses may happen. They do happen because of physiology. I don't, I don't mean to dismiss that at all, but many right. times, it's because people don't have the tools to deal with normal things that are happening that are still causing normal reactions, but they just bury them and they overlook them. They, they begin to work harder. They begin to, you know, kick the dog or whatever the case right. is. Yeah. It, sometimes you come up with dysfunctional ways of trying right. to um, help yourself. I mean, we know, not, and you have this background in addiction, is that very often when people turn to drugs or alcohol, they're trying to self-medicate. That's right. You know, uh, it's not the best tool in the world to use. We know this, but it is an attempt on their part, try trying to get their mental health back to something, quote unquote, that feels normal. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but if you've had a traumatic childhood, then sometimes you're not even aware of what normal is or what normal feels. Right. Or if you had a mildly traumatic childhood and you may not have the awareness that it had a, a, as much of an impact on you as it, as it did, mm -hmm. uh, which we see, you know, so I, I like to say that every, every, I like to say everyone's got issues. I, I, I like to start there. <laughs> right. I, yeah. My whole thing is, and, and I know um, in the association, they're very careful that they don't like to say that, that people are broken. And so, but I use that in a different context. And I say that we're all broken and if we're all broken, then we're all normal. Right. But, I like to, to say that to get people's attention. So people kind of back up and think, well, well maybe I do that. I think that's, that's a the huge barrier right there is that we live in a society where everyone's putting on their pretty mask. And so we just want to, we want to hide and bear these things because I, I'm upset because someone said or did something to me, but I'm just being a baby or, you know, I'm going to make everyone else mad or I shouldn't be acting like this. And then we suppress it. You should be in this suppress it. Yeah. Right. And, and that suppression is what ultimately, in a pressure cooker, there's a hole in the pressure cooker so the thing doesn't explode, right? 
you the pressure cooker relieves a little bit of the pressure constantly so the pressure doesn't build up and explode and human beings the pressure builds up and it has to find an outlet and that's find an outlet somewhere if they don't address it early on yeah that's where having access to tools and resources knowledge and education becomes really critical and important absolutely absolutely right. and things like awareness awareness that's, so that's where things like having the mental health awareness month um, is really good because it helps to bring attention. I, I think with everything going on with COVID, they haven't been able to really get the word out like they normally would have. But I think if we look at what's happening with COVID right now, it's, it's, it's putting a lot of not just um, health issues with dealing directly with um, COVID, but mental health issues. And a lot of people are struggling right now with very little knowledge, resources, skills, or tools to deal with all the emotional components. Agreed. That, that go with this. I agree. Uh, and, and even when we know it's, it's challenging, so can you imagine what it's like when people don't have those tools and that knowledge? That's right. Even understand what might be happening to them. Um, loss of freedom yeah right yeah yeah and it, it's interesting uh i live in florida and they we we kind of reopened yesterday right i saw that and um it's supposed to be 25 percent capacity here and there and people are supposed to wear masks and they opened the beaches and they wanted people to stay yes it was just, yesterday was chaos yeah. around here there were people everywhere I, they were uh, the beaches were packed uh, I know people that went to the beach, they couldn't find six feet of space on the beach to be, there were so many people there. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's what, I mean, people are doing what people do. We've been, we've been cooped up and we're not feeling well. And, and we don't know why we're not feeling well, even though they tell us why we're not feeling well. You think that, and this goes back to what I was just saying a minute ago, you know, you're locked up at home, you've got food, you've got TV, you've got heat, you've got air conditioning, you've got water, you're, you every you know you got technology you can still text and, and talk to people on zoom you shouldn't feel bad that's what people think they shouldn't feel bad but you're out of your routine you're not seeing people face to face you're not get, getting the sunshine you're not getting the exercise you're having sleep disturbances right that's you right know, a lot of people are reporting sleep disturbances right now and not understanding that part of that is our normal regular biorhythms are out of sync yeah right yeah yeah, and uh, strange dreams. I've had very vivid, odd, odd dreams every single day for the last three weeks. Thank you, thank you. And some of them make absolutely no sense. And so I, you know, recognize, you know, this is an extension of the changes in our natural way of being and living. And like you said, I'm not wanting to think, right? Yeah. Um, but I hear you on the beat just thing to um, my husband and I decided we wanted to go walk in a park one day. What could be nicer and, and a great way to practice physical distancing? Yeah. Right? Except everybody else was out there wanting to practice physical right. distancing. <laughs> so what, what seemed to be a great idea, right? Yeah. Um, turned out not to be so great idea because too many of us have the same idea. Yeah. And maybe two or three days later, they shut down the parks also. Yeah. Right? For that very reason. And that's, and it's unfortunate because people are just, the, people are just trying to make themselves happy and, and, um, 
and have some kind of sense of normalcy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, um, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with, with all that. So but we're in this for a while, so I think um, you'll see a lot of outcomes in terms of mental health coming um, yeah. from this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, pretty soon, everyone will know someone who was lost to the the coronavirus. Um, yeah, so. and that's with the comparisons with the flu. Uh, I've never known anyone to die with flu. Same here, same here. And, and I know several people who have died from COVID already. So, right. I, you know, I, I I'm not really sure how that works. I, I know I see statistics, and 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 the, the statistics are comparable to the flu, even though we've been on lockdown and we're not on lockdown with the flu. Um, but again, I I now personally know people die from this, and I've never known anyone that I'm aware of has personally died from the flu. Right. That, to me, that's remarkable. It's definitely a change. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I awareness. I, I guess if we're going to move on in the conversation, I want to. I want to just bring that awareness is the point that, uh, and, and I think humility comes along with that. You have to have enough humility to be aware that that there may be, I don't want to call them flaws, but there may be some things that are affecting you in a way that you, you didn't see before you, or that you don't know or you don't understand that could be affecting your relationships and your work performance and, and your physical health. Right. And I think having that humility to step back and maybe, maybe look at that, um, encouraging people to do that would, would encourage them to, to take self-care a little more seriously. Right, right. So, yeah, um, and we certainly see enough articles out there that are encouraging people to um, to say that we do need to take care of our mental health, um, that it's really important that we do need to do things like go walk in the park, um, or um, I know how much, you know, you love outdoor sports, but to get outdoors if you're an outdoorsy person, or find things that are positive um, relief valves. Yeah. Right. Um, I was talking to a colleague the other day who did her doctoral research on the importance of social scaffolding. And I absolutely love that concept um, in terms of when we're going through difficult periods or we're going through trauma or we're going through grief, that one of the things that becomes really important is this idea of social scaffolding, having um, those support structures, be they people, be they institutions, be they therapists that are there to help hold you up, especially when things are difficult or tough. Um, you certainly were part of my social scaffolding um, under the circumstances that you and I met. Yeah, I, likewise. Right, you know, and, and it helped that there was someone who not only had the empathetic ear, right, but also had um, an understanding of why what I was going through was difficult. Yeah. Um, and having that social scaffolding was certainly important to my own healing. Yeah. Yeah. And that other thing, um, you know, I really can't emphasize enough that those of us that are helping professionals really embracing and understanding that in order for us to really be 
incorporate to others that we have to know when and how to do our own self-healing and yeah. know ourselves. One of the biggest challenges for our profession. Yeah. Yeah, you're 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 not kidding. I um you know that I work for a um as a as a mentor for a university. Right. And uh, it during in this in this recently in the last six weeks, I have become my my coaching skills have become critical because of what all my students are going through. Um and, and I, I end up being the dumping ground and that, that's okay. I mean, that's, it's part of my job description. We're just in extreme circumstances right now. And so right. it's, it's amplified. Um, but it's taken its toll on me personally. Now I'm, I, I, my moniker is one of my monikers is a health preacher and the other one is the enlightened Viking. I mean, I am, I am the self care guy. I'm, I'm the preacher about self care. That's why we're doing this. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and it's it's taking its toll on me. I'm not I'm not going to lie to you. It's uh it's been a, it's been a heavy few weeks for me, trying to stay ahead of that, right. trying trying to do self care fast yeah. enough to to stay ahead. And 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 sometimes it's not working. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I have a lot of tools and a lot of knowledge because of my research to get through it. But I I think about people and and Michelle and I've talked about about people who don't have those skills, who don't, they don't have the awareness, they don't understand. They, uh, and even people who may know that, that they're, they're not well and, and they're upset and, and for, you know, nurses and, 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 and firefighters and, and police officers and doctors that, um, that are dealing with this and don't have those kind of skills and how overwhelming this, this must be for them. And what the medical profession is going through right now, along with first responders, is, uh, is taking a heavy toll. And yeah. it's becoming critical that um, helping professionals are brought in and are on standby and available to them. And so if we know that people who are trained in this need support and need scaffolding, that what I would really like to encourage for your listeners is just to understand that we all need support, we all need help, the better prepared we are for when those tough times get. And then as you already shared, um, and even when you are prepared, there are things that sometimes just hit that just knock you off balance. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and back to that humility I was talking about. The humility, right? You know, and so uncontrollable social, events. Right? Yeah. 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 Well, and, and so with the social scaffolding, to put this, uh, to parlay this for, for our, our listeners, um, really means that no one is, no one, uh, in, in today's world is in, completely independent. Everyone is completely interdependent on, on everyone else around them through their network. And a basic example is, is that let, let's say you're independent, you do everything on your own, you still have to go buy a gallon of milk somewhere. And someone else, it made, it made sure it was on a shelf, someone else is going to scan it, someone brought it in a truck to there, someone else raised the cows and processed the bottle, uh, it, you know, it it right. never stops. We're it never stops. Someone else built the street so that they could get the product to market. And so sometimes I think we forget that there are just layers and layers and layers. And that right. we are, I think we are not alone. And sometimes that we forget, we have to be reminded yeah. that we're not alone and to reach out and look for that support or find supportive activities. Um, I'm a fan of gratitude journaling. 
right? And when I first encountered gratitude journaling, I was going through a really rough period. And at the time, someone had introduced me to the book, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. It's, you know, it's a really popular 90s book, I think. I have it on uh, my shelf, right? right yep, here. I still have mine on my shelf. I still love it. But I remember when she talked about um, finding five things a day to journal, yeah. you know, that you're grateful for. And all I could think of, are you kidding? Are you? Now, I wasn't a therapist at the time. It's like, are you kidding? Are you really kidding? And I got to tell you, Bradley, there were days when I would sit to write the five things and it would usually go something like my husband, my kids, the dog, the day is over, the day is over. Other days it would be, the day is over, the day is over, the day is over, the day is over. But amazingly, I began to think better. Yeah. Even when I had many days of the day is over, what began to happen is I began to find more and more things to be grateful for. And then life didn't seem so tough. Not that anything in my circumstances had changed, but I began to develop a different outlook. Um, uh, what positive psychology would call, you know, positivity. And you know, and I have in time thoughts about um, positivity because I, I see all the benefits. I love it, and then there are times when it cannot be helpful. But um, things like journaling and gratitude journaling um, for some people—that's not for everyone—but for some people are highly beneficial. Yeah, helping you. Kind of dig yourself out of uh, of a ditch that you might be feeling, you know. So let 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 let's focus on this for a second, okay? So a minute ago you were talking, you, you said something. Um, we were talking about um, the chemicals in the brain, okay? And then we talked about social scaffolding, and now now you're talking about gratitude journaling, and they're all interconnected. We're all interconnected. So, so social scaffolding, which we didn't get to say when we were talking about this a minute because the conversation's flowing nicely, is that back to the, the interdependence that we are, we are physically built to be socially interdependent, that our happiness der, uh, derives, the chemical happiness in the brain is driven a lot. I, that, that's not a technical term, a lot. But, <laughs> is driven intently by social interaction. The social interaction with other humans actually trips the brain, brain. release right. positive chemicals that, that make us feel better, you right. know, without being too technical. By the same token, the gratitude journaling obviously does the same thing. When you're grateful, you're now not focusing on the negativity, you're focusing on the positivity like you mentioned. Right. <clears throat> but when, when you continue to journal your gratitude and you notice a change over you that's called neuroplasticity right you right. Re, you rewire the brain and this is important because, right. yeah because people get very cynical about positivity you know you see, we see people on on social media that are just always happy and positive and and then people you know you see the cynical posts where people like uh, you know, people are only putting the shiny side of their life on life's on Facebook. If there's another part, and and that's always true. But there is a the, I, there is a fake it till you make it theme in here, and people don't like the fake it till you make it thing. And I understand, but 
I like to use that because neuroplasticity has proven that if you fake the gratitude enough, eventually your brain will start to, to map that and It'll follow start the mapping pathway, right. and you will become naturally happier. There's a lot of truth to um, the brain doesn't know the difference between the truth and a lie, right? So I may be doing affirmations and, you know, and again, affirmations are not for everyone, but affirmations were a powerful tool for those that they work for in terms of, you know, uh, doing the neuroplasticity activities of just constantly repeating to myself, you know, I feel happy. I am happy. Um, I'm in the progress. Uh, I'm in progress of feeling, you know, if you can't say I am happy or I feel happy, some people find saying I'm in progress towards feeling happy. Then the brain begins to rewire itself to focus more on the positive aspects of your daily living. That's right. And over time, it becomes the new normal. It becomes the new normal. And, and, Absolutely. And, and the point that I want to finish that with is that, that we can use those tools to heal ourselves. That's, that's why we're having this conversation. Right, exactly. You know, so affirmations, journaling, gratitude journaling, you know, what's become popular in the last few years is doing the adult coloring books. Yeah. And that allows us to access different parts of our brains that also helps with, you know, healing because we can develop insight, we can focus, maybe our brain right now, we're so scatterbrained right now that doing stuff like coloring a mandala in a coloring book helps us to focus, helps us to take our minds off of whatever it is that's going on that's really causing us to feel chaotic and confused, that we can focus and then we begin to get the aha moments, we get the the insights um, when we're doing it. It's an opportunity to be creative and, and take ourselves outside of where we currently are. Even right. if it is, um, uh, I had a, a young woman that used to work for me um, that sometimes she'd come to staff meetings and she would bring her coloring book with her. And initially I thought, you, you know, you shouldn't be doing your coloring book because I need you to focus in my meeting. Yeah. But at some point I started realizing when she's focusing on her coloring book, I was getting some of her best insights and input into whatever it was that we were working on um, in the meeting. Now, other people, I think it may have been a distraction, but for her, it worked. Yeah. Yeah. It really allowed her to tap into her creative self and her creative thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's a, uh, it's form of meditation. Yeah. You know, it, um, it, it pulls the brain out of the stressful line of thinking that, that you may get in a meeting where um, this person may may stress about whatever the problem is so much that the amygdala begins to shut down access to the creative parts of the brain because she's under duress, where the coloring allowed her to relax, allowed the, the amygdala to to tell the vagus nerve to relax the body. Relax the, out, you know. The air yeah. come in and out. Um, which is the point of, of meditation, you know, right. any type of meditation, not only breathing meditation or coloring, but gardening, walking. There's so many various types of meditation. I think people misunderstand uh, meditation. They've got this new age, this new age ideology, um, this voodoo magic kind of thing, which isn't at all. It, it has, there's a lot of physiological. It has a scientific basis to Absolutely. meditation. There, there's a lot of research and a lot of studies out there that shows that meditation um, is far beyond, like I said, uh, 
what did you call it? Yeah. Um, I'm losing my train of thought there, but yeah. Sorry. So there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of scientific basis to back up being able to do things like take time out, um, do meditation, taking care of yourself. These really are healthy mechanisms for us to um, access, especially in times of stress and yeah. trauma, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And to go to the, back to the neuroplasticity portion of it, um, that science has proven that neuroplasticity, neuroplasticity happens when we learn something new. Right. And when we meditate. Science is now science is now proven that meditation and that, that learning something new and meditation both cause neuroplasticity and allow the brain to rewire itself, which is, is critical when we're we're trying to de-stress, not be as stressed, not you know fix our anxiety, whatever the case may be. That that uh, meditation can be a very critical component to that, and exactly. it's not for everyone. I, I want to highlight here. I highlighted when I was talking to Will to um, that. There are some people that are in, in that that have such a traumatic background, and and that they need other modalities first before they jump into meditation because it, it can exacerbate the problem. Right. Yeah. Right. I think you may you, you and I may have had the discussion about some of the studies coming out of the military that were some um, military members that have PTSD, that meditation can exacerbate it. So they need to go through other kinds of supportive um, techniques before they can make good use of meditation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of my um, previous, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say one of my previous guests uh, is a former military member with PTSD, and uh, he is now a yoga instructor. And uh, that's what he does. He, he, I mean, he's a yoga instructor for many people. It's kind of branching out, but he has a lot, a lot of veterans that come to him, and that's how right. they get started uh, on, exactly. on the journey. Right. And the services are recognizing that these kinds of modalities, doing things like yoga, things like meditation, journaling, you know, just writing in general, um, can be very helpful for helping. Um, people who have been in war zones are veterans to be able to start that journey of healing, uh, to get from, you don't hear it used a lot anymore, but to move from that idea of the post-traumatic stress over to post-traumatic growth. Okay. Right. And a lot of growth can come from learning these kinds of modalities to help you heal and put in protective factors. You know, you've been talking a little bit about um, childhood things, and I'm sure you're aware with all of the ACEs studies that have been done about the adverse childhood events. Yeah. And what we know from that study is that the more protective factors that are there for children, the better their socio-emotional outcomes will be. But at the same time, if we didn't get those protective factors when we were growing up in our families, in our communities, that there are things that we can do now to help um, heal and develop protective factors so that when we are meeting with difficulties, yeah. we're, we're better able to navigate them. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So... 
let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit. So that concludes part one of my interview with Dr. Paulette Bethel. Uh, please look forward to part two, which will re we will release in June for NPE Awareness Month. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast, uh, sign up for our emailing list. You can visit www.thebradleyhall.com for more information about the information we discussed in the interview and also to find this information of how to subscribe. And uh, we'll look forward to, to talking to you soon. Thanks. Hello? Is anyone here? Hello? Hello? Oh, oh, hi. There you are. I've been looking all over for you. I want to thank you for listening uh, today. I also want to tell you, if you haven't checked out my website lately, uh, you should do that. It's www.thebradleyhall.com. Just to remind you, I am a holistic life coach, a certified mindfulness instructor, and I am a trauma recovery coach. And in these uncertain times, sometimes we just need someone to talk to, to help us clear our thoughts, help us organize our thoughts, and help us map out a clear direction of where we want to go to help us navigate through the obstacles that we, we may encounter through daily life. And I'm here to do that for you. So check out my website. I've got plenty of free content uh, on my, my website, also on my YouTube channel, which is The Bradley Hall and uh, The Health Preacher. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. So thanks again for listening. We appreciate your support. And until then, take care of yourself.